This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hello, I'm Chris Hambling and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review podcast. Show three of the season is a look back at a historic victory for Palace at Old Trafford as the wheels on Ole's bus came flying off. Fantastically calm Jordan Ayew finish gave the Eagles a shock lead and a resolute defensive display saw Palace hold out until late before Daniel James equalised. However, the Palace spirit was very much present as a Benteke tackle set up a break and when Zaha was tackled by some guy called Wamba Saka. Patrick Van Arnholt was on hand to smash them all home. We'll be giving our views on the game and the major talking points from the week, ably assisted by questions from you, the listeners. I'll introduce you to my panel in just a moment. Back of the Nest Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is... You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com. Right. Panel. Here we go. Let's talk to Mr. Chris Clark first. Hello, Chris Clark. Hello, Chris Hambling. You all right? Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, done anything exciting? Uh, well, I watched the game yesterday at the ground, um, and I'm still recovering from the celebrations afterwards. Um, how violent were the celebrations around you? Saw lots of talk of uh, people with bloody shins, which are always a good sign. Oh, very much so. Goal. Yeah, I mean, I was hugging people several rows in front of me um, and several rows behind at the same time. It was really cool. Fantastic. Was that that was related to the that was related to the celebrations of the goal, wasn't it? Very much so. Yeah, not not just my okay. taste, although you know it was Pride Weekend, so. Well, okay. There's a lot to consider there, but I'll um, I'll leave everyone else to think about that. We've also we're also joined by Sam Hesketh, who's who switched sides from the preview pod. Hello, I'm on tour. <laughs> Hesketh on tour. Hesketh on tour. Um, listen, it was it was it was always going to happen, wasn't it? Eventually. Working with with, with Terence now, but it's it is quite soul destroying at times. So you've come over for a break. Well, I think, you know, sometimes when when you're at work and you're doing the same thing over and over again, and it's not necessarily bad, but then there's a mm. promise of a you know a holiday somewhere nice. You're not going to see yeah. brown, are you? Absolutely not. And and you're right. It's not it's not necessarily bad. It's just Albert. You know, let's be honest. Just it's Albert. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean. It's just trouble, let's face it. Um, but anyway, we're very glad to have you here. And, um, well, my final member of the panel is Mr. DR Kerners. Hello, DR. <laughs> I don't know why, I just thought laughing. It's just the way you introduce me every time. It's like you're kind of worried to introduce me. 
Well, yeah, there's always <laughs> trepidation, isn't there? Um, yeah. It's it's mainly because if I let it happen, you would. Um, this just show would just be us talking to you and finding out what the hell you've been up to each week. But we're not going to let that happen. However, we do have a clip from Rory. What's the connection between DR's chicken and Jeffrey Schluck? Both get a good roasting during the show. Rory from Maidstone, 35, seeking reassurance about Palace's impending doom. Much love. <laughs> now, um, thanks for that, Rory, first and foremost. That was sent in before we, we beat Man United, so hopefully he got the uh, assurance that he needed. Uh, DR, reference there to your um, to your chicken antics last week. Did you like that joke? Yeah, it was it was good. Um, someone else asked me about my chicken as well. I don't. So lots of people were concerned about my chicken. More, well, probably more than me. But yeah, the chicken was saved. Um, I had it, and it was actually tasty. But was it dry? I mean, I suspect no. It, it was no. It actually wasn't. It, it, it. I don't know why. Like when I had it, it was like tastier than usual. So I, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. Maybe because my mum took over. Maybe that's why. Yeah, that's probably it. But um, if if well, maybe we could start publishing a set of recipes for for your for your creations because um, um, yeah, there's obviously there's obviously look there's a lot obviously a lot of excitement around you and your chicken technique. But uh, what, the other thing I want to talk to you about is you went mainstream this week. Someone went mad and let you onto Radio Five Live. Oh yeah, it happened. Yeah, it happened earlier on today. Got a message yesterday. Um, they asked me if I want to come on the squad as a show with um three other people. <laughs> I won't mention their names because I can't exactly remember all their names. But yeah, <laughs> it was a show with three other people, and yeah, it was good. I was talking about Palace. There was a United fan there, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. But I wouldn't call it mainstream. This is mainstream. Yeah, you're right. Actually, yeah, this is this is much more mainstream yeah. than than a national radio station. <laughs> yeah, with actual listeners. <laughs> yeah, with, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> what was happened there? Um, so, well, a couple of things. A couple of things from me. So this week, I um, I used the power of my Twitter profile to complain about O2, and they actually refunded me the money they had been annoying me about last week. If you listen to to the end of the show last week, so very happy with that. And um, but I just I've got to mention at the the day of recording that the cricket just oh my god if if you don't like cricket apologies but i feel for you because today's ashes was ben stokes i love ben stokes and that's all there is to it really Uh, absolutely phenomenal stuff and there's something about the way you know a, a test match unfolds over a long period of time that when you get to the sort of tension where there's one wicket left 70 odd runs to get and you actually it, it just nothing builds tension quite like it I just I couldn't sit down I was shaking all over the place the only time I ever get like that is trying to watch Palace defend a 1-0 lead so I absolutely loved every second of it and the main reason I wanted to mention it because Nick has made the same joke repeatedly that we should make a podcast called Back of the Nets so just wanted to get that joke in there there you go Nick more, more attention for it Yawn. Cricket. Can we talk about Palace? What is cricket? Oh, I hate it. DR, what's, yep. what's drier, cricket or your chicken? Oh, that's a good one. 100% cricket. <laughs> <laughs> my chicken ain't dry. <laughs> there you go. We need t-shirts that say my chicken ain't dry on it. That's what we need. <laughs> Merch. Yeah, let's go. Anyway, let's, let's move on and talk about some football. So where we're going to start? Well, we've got to start with... with a nod to what was said last week. We were obviously very down last week, like everybody. 
on the performance against Sheffield United and a lot of criticism from all of us went Roy's way. Um, one of the first questions we got from listeners um, in the result after the result against Man United, one was uh, from David Bray, where he said, uh, after beating all the top six, isn't it about time you gave Roy a break? Third from January to end the season when we actually had a striker. Sorry, but you guys don't realise what a great manager we have. So easy to criticise. So David's let us have it there. Um, do do I want to answer that first? I, I think the problem is, and I think when you look at how you've structured that sentence, the problem isn't when we play the top six. The problem is when we play teams we should be beating. Um, you know, we go on about it a bit, but beating Man City away and following it up with a nil-nil at home against Cardiff, that's why we have these polar opposites. And you can't argue that the two performances we've just seen are the polar opposites. But yeah, Roy has a habit every time, particularly on the show, every time we, we sort of stick the knife in a little bit, the very next game, he tends, tends to get a result. And the, the truth is we're all delighted about that. And we we all would all love nothing more than to be wrong every time we criticise a manager. Um, and he is, he is a great manager, but doesn't stop us being frustrated. We'll be positive this show. Um, we'll start, I'll start with saying, you know, you have to give credit when it's due and, Roy, this week, he made, I would call it simple changes. I don't think he went over the top of the changes. Yes, bringing in Coyote, Gary Cahill uh, and Jeffrey Schlupp into the side, you may argue that's quite a few changes, but it was just simple. Bring Coyote in to Mark Pogba, matches physicality because James McArthur won't be able to do that. And then you put Zaha to the right, so it avoids Wan-Bissaka. And then you put Jeffrey Schlupp for a bit of pace and then Gary Cahill for experience. It was just, that's how I saw it. It was simple changes, but you have to give him credit because he made him changes. Uh, he realised that we can't go with the same squad and same mentality as last week. And it proved perfect. You know, you look at the possession, it wasn't that great. But if you actually watch the game, forget about the statistics, I would say we deserved it because we defended so well as a team. And it was just different. It was a different team from last week. I, I really don't understand how quick and how different a team can be in the space of one week, which which baffles me every time I think about it. But you have to give credit to the manager and what he's done in training ground. I'm going to be banging the same drum that I always bang, which is number of points, number of points, number of points. And with three games in, we've got four points. Now, you might have expected that the order in which those points were accrued might have been that we got three against Sheffield United and none against Manchester United. It's the other way round. This is the Palace roller coaster, and this is the way that Roy works, is you will achieve about the number of points per game that you've played by the end of the season and you'll stay up safely. It won't you'll get these exciting moments, you'll get some very, very down moments, but I don't think we're seriously at danger of going down. I hope that at the end of the season you're not playing that clip back to me and I'm crying into my beer. But um I I think with Roy we're we're safe. I can understand some frustration. You know, same as last week, I wasn't too down because I thought the first half was a solid containing performance, albeit against the team you'd have expected us to be going for it against. You know, this week I'm not cock a hoop because I think you know it's going to be a roller coaster, but on a solid graph that gets us to about 40 points by the end of the season and about 10th, 11th. Yeah, I think to to sort of echo a bit what Hambo said. You know, it's not necessarily that people think Roy is a bad manager. Um, but I think when we come up against teams where we're not going to have a lot of the ball, we're much more accomplished in that sort of role. So yesterday, you know, we knew we wouldn't have a lot of the ball. We'd be defending quite rigidly. 
Um, and then it's a case of taking your chances. You know, we, we did that uh, at Man City last year and we did it, we did it yesterday. I think the issue is when we come up against teams where we have a lot more of the ball um, and we don't really know what to do with it. And because we sort of play the same system and the same players all the time, it, it becomes a, it becomes too repetitive and we just sort of want Roy to change it. And I think yesterday, the change in personnel helped us and he's doing things that I have criticised him for not doing in the past. Um, so putting Kiate in, um, you know, playing Ayu instead of Ben Teke, these things, whilst they are like the other, maybe seem on paper small changes. I think they did make a, a big difference to the way that we were able to play. Definitely, and we'll get a bit more into what we, what he actually did change in a sec. But I just want to make the point on mentality as well, because the mentality against Man United was completely different from the mentality against Sheffield United. We played with intensity, and intensity isn't just about you know attacking the opposition. At pace. I mean, some sometimes it is, but it's really just about how you how you a- approach the challenge to defending and attacking, and how you approach being in possession of the ball, and not being in possession of the ball. We had a completely different mentality against Man United than we had against Sheffield United. Against Sheffield United, we stood off, we kind of played like we expected that eventually we would win, no matter what happened. We we kind of felt we didn't need to match their work rate. If you look at our work rate against Man United, is we did to them what Sheffield United did to us the, the week before, and you know that that does make me think about how difficult it is sometimes for teams at home or away, depending on how the how the game shaped, but how difficult it is when teams do set up to to nullify the way that you play, and and you want to see that kind of creativity of thought and and also the creativity in the play to overcome that and it's funny as I always do when we beat a team I always go on their message boards and just sit there laughing at the comments and the the Man United fans sound exactly like we sounded when we lost to Sheffield United which was we should be beating this lot the manager's lost his mind he's not picking the right players he's not picking the right system people don't care enough all that kind of stuff it's almost the default reaction um, which which our reaction almost was last week. I like to think we put a bit of thought and a bit of analysis into it, but ultimately we are just a bunch of fans, and we have the same reactions as that the fans do. Oh, don't don't compare us to United fans. I'm sorry, I'm not having that. I've <laughs> no you seen them on social media. They're saying how they're putting statistics out there. They're saying that another 15 minutes should have been added on due to time wasting. They just can't take the L, and it's like. When we beat Man City, they actually applauded us and they said, you know what, fair enough, you're the better team. But with United, their fans are just awful and I can't stand them. And there was a mate of mine who I haven't spoken to yet and he's declining all my calls because he already knows what's coming. They're just all like that. I think I think as well, like you said, you know, they were saying, oh, there should have been 15 minutes more added on in injury time. We scored an injury time. So if you'd have had 15 more minutes, we would have won 3-1. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I like it. But no, they, they were very, very... I think salty is the word that people use now, isn't it, DR? Yeah, salty. Um, I'm trying to think of another word. Yeah, we'll go with salty, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. Like, I didn't want you to think of a word. I'm not I'm not trying to put you out of your comfort zone. No, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think of if there's another word being used as well, but I can't... It doesn't come to my head. Yes. So, All right, we'll have a little think about that while we, <laughs> while we, while we um, move on to the next bit. I do want to talk a little bit about more. Why, why do we think that the players seemed more up for it. Was it a reaction maybe to how we, we played last week? Or perhaps was it just because the opposition, because, you know, playing at Old Trafford, I, it was quite clear from, from Roy's comments and the players' comments after the game that they had talked about making history and they talked about the fact that 
Palace hadn't beat Man United in the Premier League, Old Trafford, and hadn't beat them at Old Trafford for quite some considerable period of time. You, uh, I'm wondering if that was a factor. I don't know if they were more up for it, but it seemed like they were more focused. That's what I will say. Um, when we defended against Sheffield last week, against opposition who were much worse than United and had less talent, it just seemed like the focus wasn't there as a whole group. Whereas you watch the game against United, 11 players defending from Jordan Ayew to Cheko Kiate to Gary Cahill to Wilfred Zaha. Everyone's focused. Everyone's trying to close the gaps. It seemed like against United, we were just more focused. And whether that's just the response on from social media, from fans, I, I know the players see it, and Roy, that the players seem more up for it. I'm not too sure or whether it was just Old Trafford United. I guess we'll find out next week against Aston Villa. Let's see if they can keep the same focus and effort and get us a result like that. Yeah, I, I agree with DR. And I think when you play Man United away, obviously everyone has their specific job to do. So if it's like get tight on Pogba or keep your lines you know, nice and straight, that sort of thing. Everyone's so well drilled. Uh, and I think that is a big strength of Roy, is that he, he drills them so well by doing things over and over and over in training, as, as the players have said, that... It's not easy, obviously, because you're playing a good t- uh, a good team, but they know exactly what they're doing. And I think maybe when we play Sheffield United, for example, we are probably favourites to win. Um, and it comes down to more, less, you know, be rigid and do this one job really well and more like just go out and, and win the game. I think maybe we're more comfortable being the sort of the underdog, stick to your guns, take your chances. Um but yeah, I, I think it's right. Like the, the, the players have, did say that, you know, on Twitter and in interviews, they talked about us beating Manu for the first time in however long. Um, so it's obviously good that they know about it and, and you know, can celebrate it afterwards when they've when they've got the result. I think the point you've all made about the need for a clear drill and that you know that that's what Hodgson does and that's why it works so effectively away and when we're against teams where we are the underdog, where we have less uh, possession, is a very well-made one and an important one. But the the issue is, when, and this is, this is a genuine speculation, I don't know, whether there is the scope for Roy to, I mean, probably it's too late in his career and, you know, to adjust the method in this way, but would there not be scope to coach those attacking behaviours in the same way that the slow build-up is coached? I, I'm genuinely just wondering. Because I'd love to see that well, happen. I think it's. I mean, it's clear that 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 we try. It's clear that you know, as much as we criticise it, um, our approach at times, particularly at home against so-called lesser teams, I think it's pretty clear that there is some kind of a plan um, as to how we're going to create and score and, and that kind of thing. But I think I understand what you're saying, Chris. I understand where the question comes from. You think how can we be be so defensively organised and so brilliant about our defensive shape? And at times feel like we're just kind of hitting and hoping for the best. But I just think it's that balance, isn't it? It's very difficult to balance a strong defensive unit um, to be able to switch into a, an incredible breathtaking attacking unit. I think if 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 every team could do that, it'd be it'd be pretty pretty interesting. But really, it's only the best team with the best players. But I, I do think if I'm being ultra critical, Roy, I do think he sometimes doesn't really back the abilities of the players in, in an attacking sense. So um, yeah, I don't know if it's a, if it's. I agree that it's a coaching thing, but I certainly um, 
I certainly think it's a, I go back to the mentality thing, I guess. So let's talk a little bit about why, what he did actually change. Um, so we changed a few, few players in the lineup as discussed, and we'll, we'll talk about those in a sec. So I thought it was interesting that, that Roy talked after the game about having to, the, the job that Jordan Ayew was doing and, and, you know, Ayew had a, a tremendous performance, but I think it was when, when out of possession, he was asked to drop back and occupy the spaces that Paul Pogba was, was likes to kind of pr- patrol, if you like, and, play from deep and it and it just it's not so much man marking him or anything like that because as DR observed earlier on uh Coyote was getting very close to him as was was uh Luka Milivojevic at times um but he was kind of singled out as the man who would dictate play if allowed it was it was great to sort of hear that and that's where you get worried isn't it with the kind of attacking side of things that if everyone's got a defensive job to do what are they doing when, when we attack are they are they going to be in a position to sort of contribute further up the pitch but it works so well, and having, you know, Will further out wide meant that he could get on the ball perhaps a little bit more than he would have done, uh, and he was allowed to sort of switch w- wings in quite a free way. And 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 Jeffrey Schlupp playing wide as well, um, he had he had a very good game until he was taken off a little bit later. So I think the system definitely worked. Yeah, the system worked. And talking about Jordan Ayew, he's just, I mean, he's he's a changed player. It's not the Jordan I we knew we know of from last season. It seems like I don't know what happened. I know he went away for the Afcons. Maybe that done him good and just having a summer off. But he was brilliant. I'd like he was against Everton game. But the difference was that he actually was cl- clinical when the chance happened against United, which he wasn't um, when we played against Everton. I mean, Jordan I's game. Um, yeah, going forward, he scored a goal. But his overall game, if you watch him closely for the whole ninety minutes. He does a lot. He covers a lot of ground and he does lots of the dirty work. And also, the hold-up play that we talk about with Benteke, he manages to do it without having a high-end physicality. Like, you watch some of the touches he took and um, even the fancy passes. I was just so confused. I was like, is it Jordan Ayew that we know of or did we sign someone else? He's just so calm and composed on the ball and he helped out Wilf massively, massively. Yeah, definitely. The hold-up play was superb. And at times, it was him who had three players on him. And you kept sort of having to... I had kept having to look twice and think, all right, they're not triple-marking Zaha, they're triple-marking Jordan Ayew. But he was giving them such a hard time by running all over the pitch. And, and he's always had that effort. But the the quality just seems to be there. There seems to be a, a, an increase in confidence. And that's been reflected in how the fans are kind of responding to him now. Uh, and he certainly pushed himself ahead of, of Benteke with performances like that. Whether or not he will play up with Benteke, I'm, I'm not sure if Roy's going to go back to the four four two at any stage. But he just proved what a good committed player he is, and you know, great celebration. But more importantly, great finish, which we'll talk a bit more about. Let's talk um, about the one of the other changes. Gary Cahill came in for his first um, start for Crystal Palace. Obviously, a big player. There was a lot of criticism floating about when we bought him, but he said all the right things and people, before he'd even kicked a ball, people were starting to kind of go, well, actually, I reacted badly saying, oh, we're signing this old man and he's, he's not the player he was. And he only played two games last season and all this kind of stuff. And what we saw was an incredible display of, of leadership and, and more importantly, quality. And, and plus, he's a lot quicker than I thought he was as well. So really impressed personally. Yeah, I agree. I uh- um, when, when we were linked with him, I didn't say I didn't want us to sign him, but you, you know, the, one of the criticisms the club has is the big wage bill. And I just thought, you know, he's not going to be on pennies, is he, coming from Chelsea? 
Uh, and you're 33, so, you know, that's a, a two-year contract, so a big chunk of money going on him. Um, but then, like you say, the more you hear him interviewed, you know, he's obviously got a good footballing brain and he gets it. And that's a big thing. It's a sort of something you can't really quantify until you see him on the pitch. And I thought he was he was very good yesterday. I think Scott Dan um, deserved to be dropped, honestly. I don't think he's been particularly good the first two games. Um, but the one thing I did notice with, with Cahill is, like you say, leadership. He was always shouting. He was, you know, getting the line in, you know, straight. And even at the end, um, after we'd scored, PVA went down sort of, you know, maybe to waste a bit of time, but man, you got to throw. And Cahill like picked him up and was like, get over there, let's get going. And like, we need that, you know, you need an organiser. You need someone who not only has a talent in the defence, but can sort of push others to, to play better and, and keep their mind in the game. And I think that's going to be absolutely invaluable going forward, um, especially, you know, for as long as Tonks and Sacco are out. Uh, and by the time they come back, you never know, you know, they, they're going to struggle to get back in the team. I think you're absolutely right when you say he, he lifted the, the performance of the players around him. It was noticeable that the defensive organisation was far, far better than it was against Sheffield United. People looked much more comfortable in their roles. The you know the line was much more solid. But obviously, we got caught out a couple of times, which we'll talk about. But you're going to have that against a team of Man United's quality. But um, yeah, Kelly looked looked relatively assured alongside him. And as you as you pointed out, PVA positionally was was being told where to be. Uh, and Joel Ward as well. So, very, very positive debut and looks like a very good signing for us. Okay, we've got uh, another listener clip coming up. If you do want to send us your WhatsApp voice clips, just add in your contacts the number 0203 575 1266. And someone even sent us a video this week as well, uh, which we stuck on our socials and it went a little bit mad. And that was Nathan Giles essentially punching a hole in his ceiling, if you didn't see it. Uh, in celebration. That is the correct way to celebrate, no matter how angry it made his missus. So congratulations, Nathan. Well played, mate. But, um, next up, we've got a clip from Tom from Maine. Hi, gents. It's Tom here, living in the States, up in the great state of Maine, where lobsters are plentiful. What I'm wondering is, what are the thoughts of the panel about how Hodgson integrates new players, and does he have a positive impact on his players? Is it a coincidence that Benteke's fallen off a cliff? Is it a coincidence that Max Meyer looked completely short of confidence last season and he's maybe not the player he was? Is it a coincidence that Sorloth has fallen off a cliff? I mean, he was perhaps already at the bottom of the ravine before we signed him. But the way to guarantee Sorloth would be a failure was to do what Hodgson did. Dribs and drabs, substitute appearances, not a run of games. You've got to give players runs of games, especially to get them up to speed. Now, is he going to ruin Camarasa? Not even on the bench. Is he going to ruin Camarasa's confidence? Not give him game time, dribs and drabs. A whole season of these players' careers goes by wasted and then start a next season, Camarasa can finally get a game. Is that how it's going to be? He's a disaster at integrating new players into the squad. So I would be interested to see what the, what the guys think about that. So, yeah, last bit of the, the Hodgson chat, and I think it was important that we, we address this as well, because it's an interesting point, isn't it, with, with Roy? He, he certainly seems reluctant to use new players straight away. I think last season, 
you know, the excuse with Mayer was kind of that he never he didn't have a full preseason and he was trying to get used to the level. Um, I'm not sure what the reason for excluding Camarasa is, but it's difficult to argue after we've just beaten Man United. Uh, the mention of Serloff made me laugh, as did the mention of lobsters as well. I thought it was crabs in Maine. But um, anyway, let's not get into that. Let's talk a little bit about um, the point that Tom's making there. And I'm, I'll start with you, Dio. Yeah, well, with Max Meyer, we saw last season that Roy, as the season went on, then he gave him more opportunities. But with Camarasa, it's just all a bit weird. I understand the Serloff thing. But then again, Serloff wasn't, he's not Premier League level. Like, in all honesty, he, I know he's gone to Trabzon Sport and he's scoring goals there. But at the Premier League, we saw Serloff and we say it with the youngsters as well. You just, it's unfortunate. But when you get the chance, you have to take it. And Serloff did get quite a few chances and he didn't look impressive at any of them. I don't know whether that's due to Roy's system because we're seeing the same with Benteke and how he's dropped off. He seems like he's struggling in Roy's system, but yeah, it just didn't work for Serloff. But Camaras is a bit weird. I expect to see him on Tuesday and if I don't see him on Tuesday against Colchester in the League Cup, then that's when I'm going to get pretty worried. But even now, looking at the squad, it seems like he doesn't really favour him. I'm not too sure why because he hasn't got an injury as well. But you can't really complain, can you? Before the United game, yes, I was a bit annoyed. But now, it worked out fine. All the substitutions I brought on, it, it worked perfectly. So, yeah, it's a bit weird. It's also a question of horses for courses, isn't it? And I think, you know, when you're playing Man United, probably you're going to play your more physical defensive midfielders um, or ones who have got that kind of physical edge to their game rather than, you know, your more attacking players and, and those who are a bit more lightweight. So I, I can see why, you know, neither Maya nor Camarasa would have started the game against Man United. Um, not being on the bench, yeah, I, I understand the point. In terms of integration of new players in general, Tom, I think you do make a good point. Um, the the interesting contrast is uh, Coyata, who came in very early in his time with Roy. In fact, he played in the preseason friendly and I thought he looked, frankly, off the pace but then he massively um, you know, proved us wrong with a series of solid performances early in the season and through and became increasingly, for me, a, a player who should have been playing every game. So, you know, I'm, I think I think you're right. Um, so the Sorloth thing, yeah. Um, I think there are lobsters in Maine as well, Chris. But uh, Oh, yeah, I'm sure there are lobsters as well. I'm just, I thought it was Maine crab was like the famous thing. But, um, I mean, I think lobster we- as well. Yeah, all right. Well, fair, fair enough. And Tom would know. He, he lives there. I, I don't. <laughs> um, it, it's also talked about a bit in Jay Rayner's excellent books about food. But anyway, that's a massive aside. Um, the point being here that um, in terms of Roy integrating new players, he we know that he's got a massive loyalty to his core 11 and he's often very reluctant to change that. This game, you know, proved him right, I guess, in terms of who he, who he chose to pick and the approach that he chose to play. Uh, do we want to see Camarasa soon and, and indeed see Maya get more game time? Absolutely. Yeah, just to, just to add a little bit, I, I agree. I get the impression that Roy likes being comfortable with players. So last year, whilst we now know that Max Meyer said he found the physicality of the lead tough and, and, and all that, um, it did take a while for him to get in. Same with Guaita. Uh, and I, I just get the impression, like like Chris said, that we know that Roy is loyal to his to his core team of players. And I think it takes time for players to sort of integrate into that, not because they're bad players by any means, but, you know, 
if if he's if he is drilling the players like we said he was, then he knows exactly what he's got with that group. So Jordan Ayew, he knows him from last year. James McCarthy, he brought in. He said that he's wanted him for a while. You know, so I think whilst I would like some changes and some t- players to get in sooner than they have, um, I think it's Roy sort of airing on the side of familiarity more than anything else. I think that's true. And, and I do think there's a point of consideration around, you, you mentioned it there, the fact that McCarthy's come come straight in um, for, for a place on the bench and been used. And I think it's pretty clear that, as you say, Roy wanted McCarthy. It was pretty clear that he wanted Cahill, both of those involved pretty much as soon as they could be. So maybe there's a, potential that, that Camarasa wasn't necessarily someone specific that Roy wanted for the team and that he's, just, he's a player that, you know, he obviously would have agreed us to sign him, but he's potentially a player that he didn't have a specific plan for in the fact that it was in a certain position and he has a certain amount of talent and experience, but how to use him, we haven't quite got there yet. And the, and the message that, that Roy wants to give him in terms of his role in the team and how he's going to perform isn't quite there yet. It might be that we're waiting for that specific type of game, and you would could argue that maybe Sheffield United was that type of game. But where you know his his qualities and what he brings to the team would would be um, you know would, would be useful. I think the fact that he can play out wide um, will probably get him a, a chance in the in the team more more than it would have done if he was only central. But yeah, I can see people like you know again fans in particular. We like these players that have this kind of. I don't know, mercurial kind of reputation. You know, Camarasa scored some good goals for Cardiff and was a, was a very skillful, technical, creative player. Whereas Roy does favour the more functional players, I think, first and foremost, and kind of limits our flair and creativity to to the sort of three attacking players that he, that he picks on a regular basis. But, yeah, you know, it's, again, we talk about balance. We talk about how Roy wants to draw the team. I think really that's the, all there is to it. But I think it's, it's an important question from Tom and, there is definitely some truth to to giving players a chance and part of integrating players is, is giving them that chance, not just working on with them on the training pitch and trying to get them, you know, have, with the right message in their head. You've also got to play them. Otherwise, they'll never adjust and they'll never quite potentially, um, you know, make that difference that we hope that they will. But um, thanks thanks for your question, Tom. But I think look, overall, the, the discussion that we've just had about Roy and, and the, the difference between this week and last week, what's really important to me is that he did make changes. He did play the opponent. And I really want to see him do that in you know in home games, particularly against opposition where we know we're going to have more in the ball. I'd like to see that kind of creative thinking take place there, not just chuck out the same system and the same team and kind of hope for the best. That's where we get frustrated. But well played, Roy. Great, great game. <laughs> and uh, obviously... Great to see the players quite quite so motivated for that win. So let's talk a bit more about the game and let's get straight into talking about the goals. I mean, early on in the game, it was pretty clear that we we would sort of we'd surrendered possession and it was quite difficult to watch those first 20, 25 minutes or so. But we had that opportunity from a long goal kick, a really old school goal, where um, you know, just driven long by Guaita towards Jeffrey Schlupp, an absolutely brilliant flick on from Schlupp. Uh, into the feet of Jordan Ayew. And the coolness of the finish was just fantastic to watch. You could see he kind of shaped to hit it across uh, David De Gea, who 
who actually dived in that direction, but he sort of gave him the eyes, knocked it near post, superb finish, and it absolutely knocked the stuffing out of Man United as well. Very, very simple, but absolutely just great to see. Um, old school goal, wasn't it, Chris? Absolutely. A real, really special moment. Um, I'm pleased that you picked out Schlupp for that um, fantastic flick on, because um, from where I was watching it at the far end of the ground, the brilliance of that wasn't apparent. Um, you know, it was just a long punt, and the next minute I was through on goal, and you know, you're just waiting for it to go calmly into the keeper's hands or wide or something, and then he slots it in, and you know, that was just an absolutely magical moment. Um, I've I've been at Old Trafford when Palace have taken the league before, but only in the League Cup, famously, and that was magical. This was even more magical, and yeah, hugging people, rows in, in front and behind, just. Incredible scenes, fantastic, and yeah. Even then, you know, the, the doubt immediately starts to gnaw of how long is this league going to last. It's weird. You, you're saying it was magical, but I wasn't at the ground and I was watching it from a perfectly legal stream at home, um, as I couldn't travel up there, and I was confused. It was not even magical to me. I was so confused because I don't know. Maybe I lost concentration, or it just happened too quickly. It's like, what did we just? score and like there were no defenders i just love harry Maguire. i just want to give a shout out to harry Maguire. i love you um continue please <laughs> continue playing for united because every time we play against harry Maguire, the whole defense collapses and he's a legend i just want one thing to add about the the goal itself um that's the sort of goal that a team will score against palace or i'll see a team score in another game where, like you say, you think they're going to go across the goalie and they just slot it near side. And I would think, oh, Palace will never score a goal like that. And we did. <laughs> yeah, we, we absolutely did. And it was and it was Jordan Ayew that did it. And again, we talk about it. It take, takes a lot of stick, but we've already discussed what a great performance he had in that game. Um, and I, for me, I just think, that, you know, I think there was a bit of a factor there. Man United were playing a bit of a high line and it was clear that they hadn't quite organised themselves well enough. Luke Shaw was slightly struggling at the time and, and, and maybe you could argue that Maguire's positioning was kind of taking that into account. But it's just, I think, as DR already said, it was a surprise more than anything that it kind of got us that goal because you just weren't expecting it. Man United were playing the high press, putting pressure on our defence. And you see, when Cahill knocks the ball back to the back to Guaita, he drops to the side and he points to Guaita to play it sort of to the side of the defender. Quieter just sort of ignores him and he's got a great kick on him. Um, and it's just that there's there's got to be room in the game to still do that. You know, the, it's almost gone out of the game in the sense that most teams try to play, play it around, knock it around the back, and, and we do that. You think back to the Sheffield United game where all the possession we had, all the touches we had were all at the back where they just let us knock it around. Um, because Man United, the onus was much more on them at home to attack us. And obviously they believed very much that they were going to win the game. I think that's a huge factor in how that that goal came about. I mean, the other thing about it, I mean, you said, you know, it was a surprise. I mean, it was funny as well because they had been absolutely bombarding us and, you know, we we just had this punt out of nowhere. Um, The other, other, you know, so we were literally laughing as well as, you know, jumping up and down, etc. But the other thing about it is... You try and imagine how the IU of last year or Benteke, how many chances they would have needed at that opportunity to score last year, you know? And yet with this one, this Jordan IU 
had one chance, scored one goal. Fantastic. Oh, look, we talk so much about having to take your chances and how Palace have, have got a reputation, quite rightly, for it to be a, be a team that hasn't been taking their chances. But And that's that turns games. We saw it in evidence. But... Um, yeah, just is it? Is it? You're right. What there was, there was amusement to it. Perhaps not as much as an amusement to the aftermath of Man United's equaliser. Obviously, a lot happened between us scoring and, and Man United equalising, which we'll talk about. But for their equaliser, you know, Wilf was doing what he should be doing, as Roy put it, and and trying to take on Pogba um, right up the pitch, and great tackle on him. One movement. One pass, and all of a sudden, there's an overload on the left-hand side. Ball finds itself with James cuts in. Excellent finish, but what a twattish celebration that was! You just you hate to see it. And I've seen some Man United fans talk about you know how pathetic it is that they've got players celebrating equalizers. You know, you got to allow them to celebrate, but the kind of arrogance to just stand there with your arms folded when you've you've done nothing in the game is. Um, you know, really, really quite frustrating to see. And I really enjoyed uh, Terence on Red and Blue Army's uh, social account, well, specifically on his Twitter account. He was just um, adding <laughs> photoshopping pictures of uh, Daniel James with his arms folded into various pictures of Palace celebrating the goals, which made me laugh so much. But um, And that, yeah, just great to rub it in their faces. I feel bad for him. I really do. He was time-wasting. <laughs> And then Marshall, I've seen a tweet, and it's so true. I could see in the celebrations, it was time wasting. And Marshall and Rashford just grabbed him back. Maybe if you're celebrating a bit longer, they would have got a point out of the game. It's just disappointing for them. But oh well, I don't really care about that. But you saw, like we talk about United being, oh, they're not the same United. But you can still see the talent in the side. We lost the ball, and in a space of ten seconds, really, they just destroyed us like our defense just collapsed and the defense was so solid all game and it came as a shock to everyone really it's like wait what happened but you have to give credit I know we're going to talk about the second goal but like the players continued they they didn't stop all game and we're talking about effort and desire last week after the Sheffield United game but you're at Old Trafford away from home and they've scored a goal and they're trying to go grab another one yet the players stayed strong and they were still had the mentality to go and win this game. And that's what you like to see. And that's what I liked about it, really. After that equaliser, non-stop, we still continue doing our own thing. Definitely. And, you know, I I'm, I think most of us probably feared that the only additional goal would be to Man United and we'd lose that game. I don't think any of us would have, would have picked Palace to go up the other end and score. But two players in particular have to take huge credit for it. Uh, the first is Christian Benteke, who... Brilliant tackle back on Pogba. It was when you look at it, you can and Pogba's claiming the foul. You can almost well when it happened in, in real time. I just thought, yeah, well, it probably was a foul. And we've got away with that, but it wasn't. He just nicked the ball away perfectly and cleanly. But then he just exchanged passes with McCarthy and a lovely swept pass out. But the player who takes the most credit for this and not just for scoring it is definitely Patrick Van Aanholt because he just does what he does when he, you know, when he has that moment where he just thinks, I'm going to make the difference here. I'm, I'm going to, he was the furthest player back um, when when the ball was taken off of Pogba's feet. And he just sprints. Um, Benteke finds him with the ball, puts it into Wilf. Wilf tries to get a base for a shot and Wampasaka tackles him. But, uh, you know, unfortunately for him, unfortunately for us, falls straight at the feet of, of Patrick and Arnholt. And, okay, 
you could argue De Gea, De Gea <laughs> I'll speak properly, uh, has to save that really. But I mean, he's hit it really hard from a, from an angle. Um, and it, okay, it's almost bounced off, bursts off the arm and, and gone in off his back. But you've got to credit the shot and the move and, and the ambition to do that at that stage. It was such a great goal and such a glorious moment. Yeah, it was. And I think, like you say, that both those players, Benteke and, and PVA, deserve a lot of credit for it. I think Benteke's tackle to set the, the whole move going was brilliant. It was a very well-timed tackle. He didn't just get the ball and think, right, I've done my job. He set he set the move going. Um, and like you say, with PVA, sort of he, he, we know he likes to get forward. But when Wilf's got the ball, he didn't just sort of hang around. He was, you know, straight on to the, to the assist by Wan-Bissaka. Um, and yeah, okay, I'm sure De Gea will be a bit, a bit pissed off that he let it in, but he smacked it. You know, he hit it pretty hard. Um, and I think that his PVA's effort, his application yesterday was the best that I've seen him in quite a while. Um, I've been a bit critical of him over the last. Season probably on the preview show, um, but he was very very good today, and we saw an improvement in his defence. But then his effort to get up the pitch, be part of the move to start with, and then finish it off was excellent. I think. And stop yes, it's in injury time, so the fact that the, the, it's going to be it's, well, it is extremely tough for for players to be defending the majority of the game without because you know when you've got the ball, the energy levels that you need are much lower than when you're constantly chasing. And, and that's where you get the real strength in Roy's system because it, it is about shape and you're not quite having to close everything down because people are in the right areas. And, and that's where Roy does deserve a huge amount of credit in how he sets the team up. Um, but, you know, as you say, it's, it's, it's a tremendous effort. I just wanted to flag up that we also had another clearance off the line from Van Unholt from a Daniel James chance earlier on. So, you know, he contributed at every step of you know what was you know a, a very very useful win for us you know at, at both ends of the pitch so yeah it, it was really nice to you know see him get that win and get that goal because it will be such a boost to his confidence and the, the love that he got you know considering the responses he's had on Twitter to some of the things over the last week or so and in fact over the last year frankly you know the, the we've talked about it many times before but the fact that so many people at players with negative comments, you know, and he's he's singled out because he tends to respond to them as well, which is, you know, good on him for that, doing bits yesterday. This is going to sound weird, but I'm going to be real and say that, look, Ronaldo, yeah, he did score the goal and the performance was improved again uh, from what we saw against Sheffield United. But I'm still, I'm not going to go overboard and say that, Oh, Vanano has changed because even during the first half, um, there were times where he just lost his player. He lost James on the right-hand side and was fortunate that James couldn't really create anything. But that's... I do sound negative, but that's what I saw. And I feel like I have to say it. I, I don't want to lie and say, look, Vanano, he played, had a perfect, perfect game. Yes, he had two clearances, but there were times where he switched off and... That slightly worries me because next game, I don't expect us to go with the same formation. And you have to consider that Van Arnold had extra support in this game with um, five in midfield and Jeffrey Stop also going back. With next game, if we go back to how we were playing against Sheffield United and he doesn't get that extra support, I'm not I'm not that excited by it. I'll be honest. Well, look, a couple of things. You know, It's a valid point that you make. And what I would say is if he defended as well as he attacks, 
we, we said he wouldn't be playing for Palace. Um, with obviously not trying to disrespect our club in any way, but he, he would be incredible. Um, so you kind of almost have to accept that the, the things that he is weaker at to a degree. But I think he'll benefit from 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 Cahill playing there. I think when Sacco's in there, he's a better player for a start. Um, just just having someone talking to him, it's not like he doesn't know where to be, but he seems to be one of those players. He's a bit, you know he is a bit of a kind of free spirit out there, and, and he he's kind of runs where he wants to run, and he does love to support the attack, and he does need someone there organising and saying. Tell it, you know, reminding him what his first duty is, and reminding him when he when he lets his player go, just so he can have that focus. I think every player kind of needs that their their teammates to do that, and that, that's part of covering your teammates. It's part of doesn't matter how many games that you've played, you need someone to tell you when you've done the wrong thing on the pitch. Um, it, it's much better that than when you get told after the game and you've already lost the game because of mistakes. It's, it's better, it's, you know, on pitch management is basically what it is, and the more players we have who are real leaders like someone like Gary Cahill, the the better that will be. And I think I think he'll benefit from that. Hopefully Cahill stays fit and, and you know he continues to to benefit. So a few incidents I want to talk about and Cahill was probably the first of those. Um, I'm just going to ask a question and I'm going to ask it to you, Mr. Hesketh. Was it should it have been a red card for for Cahill's challenge on Marshall? Um, yeah, I think it probably should have. Um, the the argument that I heard was that Kelly was covering, but from what I could see, Kelly was behind play. And I think if Cahill hadn't made the the challenge, uh, Marshall would have been in. So goal scoring opportunity, all that. Um, so I I, I mean, it's certainly if it was the other way round, if it was our attacker being being fouled there, I would be calling for a red. Um, but I'm sure we're going to talk about other other instances where you need that kind of decision and that kind of luck to go your way in order to get the result that we did. Yeah, I think we're owed a bit of luck in games against Man United. Um, but you're absolutely right. If that had been at the other end, it would just be, I'd be talking today about big club bias and all that kind of business. Um, I think you're right. There was two things for me. There was, there was Kelly getting back and obviously... I think the main thing is continuing to run back as once the foul had happened. So by the time the referee's making his decision, Kelly's behind, effectively behind Guaita and looking like he's covering. So I think that influenced the, the ref to a degree. But I also think if you look at Marshall's touch, it, it's going away from goal. It's actually a very good touch because he doesn't move it very far. But when the initial contact is made, he is moving the ball away from goal. And I just think those two things put that little bit of doubt in the referee's mind. Man United fans will say that the ref bottled it. And they're probably right to some degree, I think. Uh, but no complaints from me. But in all honesty, it probably should have been a red. For me, it was an obvious red. Um, but the you know, as you've said, we're, we're owed some luck. And I'm going to focus specifically on uh, the first game back up uh, when we went to Old Trafford when KG was sent off for a good tackle outside the box and he was sent off and a penalty was given because Ashley Young dived. So I think that's poetic justice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely zero sympathy. And, and similarly for the, the next incident I want to talk about, which um, I've got, well, m- my view on this was, was a bit different. So it's Anthony Marshall, um, lovely little turn and into the box and you've got Martin Kelly leaning into him. 
Um, and as he leans into him, Martial stays on his feet, but obviously he's leaning and leaning and leaning. And as he takes the shot, he's off balance and kind of kicks the ball into his own foot and it goes sort of high and a little bit wide, um, but absolutely screaming for the penalty. And you just think with VAR, when you see that, you, you're thinking, well, they're going to they're gonna have another look and give it. But they really seem to play the whole clear and obvious error, back the referee's original decision, unless there's a really specific and obvious reason not to card. Um, and the other thing I think potentially that saved it was that the initial contact was outside the area. And it might have been that that was the discussion where I think it was Craig Pawson on the other end who never gives us anything. Um, but on this occasion, he, he might well have said, well, it is a foul, but he stayed on his feet and gone into the area. So he, the, the move has continued. So it would be a free kick outside the box, but you've kind of played an advantage there. So yeah, you can't really give it. That's what I think anybody else think I'm clutching at straws uh I agree I wasn't I wasn't that worried um that it would be a penalty because the clear and you know it has to be obvious and it was I, I didn't see it as an obvious challenge really so I wasn't that worried about that one um but I was the the thing that slightly worried me was that all right we got away with this one um, if we do something silly, we're not going to get away with it anymore. It's, it, I know that's going to happen. And it did happen. <laughs> so, yeah, my worry did come true. Yeah, there was um, there was a second one, which I think the referee got absolutely right, which was, uh, I think it was Rashford who went down the sort of side of the area. Um, again, I think, was it was it Kelly or Ward? I think it was Kelly, again, leaning, sort of leaning into And um, they really did look closely at that one. Lots of sort of rolling the, the, the pictures backwards and forwards looking at the the initial sort of touch on his arm, but his feet seemed to go from underneath him without any real contact. So that one, I think, was less of a penalty than certainly the one, um, well, less of a foul than the one against Martial. So, um, but both, again, Man United fans, absolutely adamant that both should have been penalties. They did get a penalty, which was pretty clear when McTominay ran through a little touch by, I think it was at Greenwood. Um, and then, yeah, McTominay... Um, goes over Luca's leg which was sort of inexplicably stuck out a bit, bit disappointingly and of course well Marcus Rashford just I don't know about anyone else when that penalty was struck I genuinely thought it had gone high into the middle of the goal and bounced out and, and but obviously it was quite quite obviously hit the post but the inside of the post and then out for a goal kick I mean those are margins that I mean, you know your luck's in when that happens. You really do. Again, I mean, that was like celebrating a goal all over again. Because um, the despair when the penalty was given, it was just crushingly inevitable. Um, watching it back, you know, you can see the ridiculous techniques that um, he's trying to pull there, Rashford, with the um, kind of Zaza-style moving of his feet up and down. You can just hear the duck noise coming. Um, and then... Guaita goes the wrong way and yet it strikes the post and yeah, it, it was like we'd won the Champions League when <laughs> that hit. It was fantastic again. <laughs> How did that compare to the celebrations for the winner? Oh, I mean, it, it was comparable. All three were just you know, laughter and party atmosphere. It was absolutely, you know, a festival of love in there. A festival of love. Well, there we go. <laughs> um, one last little thing I want to talk about. Um, was we, we've got a player who we feel has been unfairly labelled as a diver and quite is been consistently penalised for um, for being clearly fouled. 
what were um, I'm going to start with you, Mr. Hesketh, again? What What was your view on Daniel James's situation? I'm very happy that you came to me because I was talking to my mates about this uh, earlier. Um, I think for a start, to be clear, the booking that he got for diving, Jimmy obviously smacked him on the knee, so that's you know it wasn't a dive. But this everything I've watched and read since has been at pains to talk about how Daniel James isn't a chi and shouldn't get that reputation, and it's really unfair. And I'm just thinking every time Wilf gets a legitimate foul, there's the cry that, oh, he's gone down again. He's a cheat. He always dives. Um, and, and the difference, you know, you, you mentioned big club bias a little bit earlier. The, the difference between Wilf, who gets fouled, and Daniel James, who, all right, got wrongly booked this time, but I think got booked against Wolves for diving as well. Um, even if he's exactly the same with Wolf and it's just a case of he's really fast and he keeps getting nicked and, and tumbling over, um, the difference in reaction between him and Wolf is pretty outstanding. Definitely. And I, I, you know, I felt throughout the course of the game that he was quite light on his feet. And they, often he would get contact, but he, if I felt that he was anticipating that contact, which, which you kind of do. It's the same thing that Wolf does. I'm not necessarily criticising him for it. I'm just saying that that, that plants that seed in the referee's mind. And the thing that really struck me about the challenge was when you sit when you see it in slow motion, it looks unbelievably obvious and such a terrible decision. When you see it at full pelt, he absolutely flings himself into it. Just I don't know if that's just how explosive he is off, off the mark pace-wise when he cuts inside, but he went absolutely flying. And that's why when you see the, the slow motion that MacArthur's foot actually bounces right off of his knee, almost spins MacArthur over. Um, so I don't I don't know if that was kind of what was in the referee's head when he, because it, it just seemed over the top, the kind of reaction to it. But, you know, I'm not going to be hypocritical here. I've, I've seen, you, you get that with, with fast players. We the same thing with AJ, didn't we? Where he was just absolutely unbelievably blisteringly quick and would use that and would look for those challenges. And, you know, very rarely would you say that he actually took a dive, but he certainly want, invited the contact. And when it when it came, he certainly made sure he fell over as well. So, you know, I think that's something he's going to have to live with with the, with the way that he plays. And um, it's yeah, but I think the interesting point, and you you got there exactly, Hesketh, which was the the difference in reaction between a, a Man United young player who's being lauded as this magnificent prospect and what a great signing, and aren't Man United great for buying? buying British and, and giving them a chance and not going out and spending money on established players, blah, 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 blah. What about a player who came through the Palace Academy and is just treated like a criminal for no good reason? There we go. Bit of a bit of arguing there. Um, DR, talk to me about VAR. What do you think? You're, you're a fan? Yeah, um, I know Nick ain't. Uh, I've been, I always argue with him whenever I go love sport. But I'm a fan of it. I, I'll say this. Um, there's nothing wrong with VAR. You know, when people argue about the handball decisions, that's just the rule changes. That's that's just how it is. It's not VAR's fault. And VAR is needed. It's needed in the game. For yesterday, I, I wouldn't say it, it helped us, but it didn't go against us. Like, 
Man United, there were some questionable decisions which could have easily went against us with the help of VAR, but it didn't. It's like the game flows normally unless the referee misses something that's clear and the referee didn't. So I have no issues with it because we always complain about people saying, oh, Wilf is a diver and all of that. Well, now we've got VAR. When a situation like that happens, the referee will get the help and he will know that Wilf didn't dive. So it's a point for us, for now anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, personally, I, I think that we're still, people are still feeling their way with it and you've, you've still got the human element, as people have pointed out. You've still got someone sitting there watching pictures and making an interpretation. And if in the early stage, the way they're interpreting things is never going to be completely clear, particularly to the fan at the ground. I think that's why you're hearing booing from some people every time there's a VAR check, although you also hear chanting when it goes in teams' favours. So I think it's just any change takes a while to get used to. And I think that's where we are at the moment with it. But uh, hopefully it continues to work in our favour. And it's the third it's the third week of the Premier League. It's not like we've had VAR for three years. I was watching a game, a uh, Turkish game the other day, and I'm convinced, like I'm Turkish, so this won't be racist or anything, um, but I'm convinced they're doing a kebab shop, like the VAR in Turkey. Because it took a good five to ten minutes to sort out a clear offside goal, and I just found it hilarious. I just, I just love that country. Just, it's, <laughs> I mean, if you just look um, up here, just look at other leagues. If you're complaining about VAR here, it's much better than it is than other like European countries that use that. Yeah, the Premier League approach has been very much to try and limit it um, to, to to key moments. If you just use it. With carte blanche, it does seem that it will slow the game massively. Uh, what was the teams you were watching? In, um, yeah, it's in, not in pastry. I don't know why. It's Fenerbahce oh. versus Basakshir. It was, yeah. It was it versus... You know what's funny? 92nd minute winner as well. Like, in both games on the same day. I lost myself. I can't... I, yeah. I lost, like, I've, I've done a good cardio workout yesterday. I just... It was amazing. Um, if you're confused about the reference to a pastry there, not... Uh, Producer Mikey and, and myself have been suggesting that Fenerbahce is in fact a Lebanese pastry, and it's really made DR upset over the last couple of days. So we're going to keep that going for our own amusement. Um, but yeah, otherwise that sounds like a very very confusing statement from DR. Any reaction at the ground, Chris, to the VAR? No, not really. <laughs> Honestly, I think people people have got used to it <laughs> already. Um, you know, I mean, if it was a big issue, like if, if one if one of our goals had been chalked out because of that, I think there would have been a riot. But and the same the other way, particularly. Um, but I, I think people are getting used to it already. Um, I, I do understand where Nick and others are coming from with the lack of you know spontaneous celebration. Because, I mean, I, I still have this. that The moment we score, first thing I do is have a look to see if the flags are up. And then if that's not the case, then I allow the moment to take me. But anything that robs me of... You know, that moment of joy, I, I do understand. But then we've been robbed so many times, and I've already ranted about one insignificant uh, sending off six years ago. It shows how long I hold a grudge. So, you know, absolutely, <laughs> this technology is a good thing, and I think people were fine with it in the ground. Yeah, and I know a lot of people have been saying, oh, well, you know, I won't know whether to celebrate or not. Just celebrate. <laughs> celebrate anyway. And if you, then you have, you know, then if you have to take it back, you take it back and you just make certain gestures at the fans who are mocking you and you get on with it. It's, I'm st- I'm not going to sit and wait for a VAR decision if, it, if there's going to be one to come. I'm going to go absolutely mad celebrating a goal. Um, and if I feel like I look stupid afterwards, then so be it. I've had to look stupid on many occasions. It's nothing new. So that's my uh, view on, on one of the key arguments there. Look, I'm going to have to move us on a little bit because we've um, 
we're, we're running short of a bit of time. So let's, let's talk a little bit about a, a topic that's really been led by, a, by a, a clip that we got that's coming up from Rob Seltzer. And I've titled it, That Was Great, But What About Next Week? So let's hear from Rob. Hey, back in the nest, Rob Seltzer from the Exiled Eagles podcast here. Um, I just want to caveat this by saying what an incredible result it was this morning for us here down under. And I know this is going to come across as, well, can't you be happy for once? But um, my, whilst the blueprint is clearly set when you're playing, when any smaller team playing the top six away, it's stay tight, try and catch them on the break in. And Nick's something that's ultimate smash and grab, which we did yesterday. Um, and we do that very well, as proved in the last couple of seasons. My concerns will be what's happening next week against Vida. Uh, that midfield is very workmanlike yesterday. And next week, we're not going to have a team. We're not going to be playing a man you're again. We're going to play a team that's probably going to try and keep it tight against us. Now, midfield of Kiyati, who was superb yesterday, Luca and Maka, as shown, isn't going to create anything and obviously we know how pragmatic Roy is do you guys think he will make that change that change is needed bringing in the Meyer for example maybe even god forbid camera massa might even make the bench um or are we going to see the same old same old for for a home game and that was segue into my second point really is a question about um that midfield so Luca and Maka now Maka I don't know what he's offering the team at the moment he's not box to box and we have better defensive midfielders than him so I don't see the point in being a defensive midfielder. And we have better attacking midfielders than him. So I don't see him the point of being an attacking midfielder. I'm not too sure what he does. The, his passing wasn't great yesterday. And Luca yesterday couldn't pass wind. Um, he was, I thought he had really poor. He invited pressure on us quite a lot. And it was a very silly foul he gave away for the penalty. So um, my question, what do you guys think about Luca and Mac at the moment? Do you think they're worthy of places in the team? Obviously, Luca's our captain. I thought Cahill was superb yesterday. Very vocal, leading just being the, the Gary Cahill we knew we thought we were going to get and just kind of picking players up when they were sitting down and just driving the team forward. So I know Luca's the captain, but do you feel that with the Luca and Mecca in the uh, deserving of their place in the team um, going forward? Um, love to hear your thoughts. Really enjoy the pod and um, up the paddies. Well, first of all, thanks, Robin. A, a massive shout out to the Exile Eagles pod as well. Check it out. Um, a couple of questions in there, really. So, what you know? Do we think we'll see the same same issues against Villa, which we'll come to in a sec, and obviously some questions over the midfield. And we also got a tweet from Jay Knowles, which was, "Do we need to drop Luca? The man can't pass. His corners and free kicks are poor, and he doesn't break up play. Apart from penalties, I can't see what he adds to the team." Uh, and on a similar note, we also got a tweet from Steve Foster saying, "A positive as as positive as that was, bit of a false result. Still concerned about our chances of staying up." So, you know, this is the time where we you know to address some concerns and potentially what you might describe as a bit of negativity around the team. Um, so we'll start with the, the the question of the midfield, if we can, gents. And that is MacArthur and Luca, and, and Luca in particular. So to give it a little bit of a, of a flavour from my perspective, um, I've always felt that James MacArthur is possibly the one player who is, who is at risk in the team of another one coming in and taking his place. Uh, if you're looking at the four four two that we often employ at home, you know you'd, you'd have to look at, at Kuyate and think maybe he he might be able to step in there and and do a more effective job. But then I've written Macker off a few times and he's ended up having a storming game and he does chip in with with assists and the occasional goal as well. Um, he's certainly one of those players. The second I think he's he's going to lose his place, he he ups his game. 
Um, with Luca, I think people are are asking questions. I think he's possibly better than people are giving credit for, but I, I'm not completely convinced that he has the right partner alongside him in central midfield. I think you've ticked almost every box of what I was going to say there, Chris. So I'll, I'll shorten <laughs> what I was going to say, but um, and I'll also pick a slightly different emphasis in responding to some of Rob's points about uh, Luca and Maka. I mean, first of all, I think Maka is box to box. I mean, certainly that's the way he plays. It may not be his strength, um, but he is running up and down all game. So you definitely can't question his effort and certainly his efficacy when it comes to chipping in with vital goals. He plays with heart. So, you know, if he does lose his first team place, and I, I, on balance, I probably agree with you that he should, um, that would be to the bench, in my opinion. And I think he, he could be a useful player to bring on with 15 minutes to go. Hobson likes a 75-minute sub. So, you know, I, I think he's definitely still got something to bring to the squad, but probably not the first team. We need, um, in terms of Luca. Um, I think we definitely need to uh, look at who he's partnered with. And the fact is, I think there's no coincidence that the downturn in his form coincides with the loss of Johan Kabai. Because, you know, for for everything that Kabai wasn't the player that you know we thought we were signing, he did add quality and he made Luca look a better player. Um, and that's that's one of the things, it's who you, who you're paired with. So having someone who can do those kind of quality passes and and indeed, and I think this is the main point, chip in with the um, quality free kicks and with the corners, that will take the pressure off Luca and allow him to do what he's good at, which is containing, controlling and setting a pace. He can do that if he's not also got to do everything else. He's not a one-man band. And we've got, so for me, Cuiato definitely is the player who starts. And then occasionally maybe you bring Meyer and Camarasa in as as the moment requires. I think it depends on who we're playing. And, you know, maybe this Villa game is the one where you'd be looking to bring a bit more dynamism into central midfield. So it'll be interesting to see what Roy actually chooses, you know, chooses to go for. Usually it's the more conservative option. So probably it'll be uh, Maka and Nuka. But I'd I'd like to see a bit of a change up, but keep absolutely keep Maka on the bench. And for me, um, Luca has to start. I thought Maka he he was he was more adventurous against United, and I think the reason for that was that you had Luca and Kuyate there. So with having five in midfield, it just allowed him to run up and down the pitch and be and not be worried that there'll be any spaces left in midfield. I thought that role worked much better for him. But in terms of dropping Luca, I think, yes, Roy did make quite a bit of changes and he also dropped Andros Townsend, which was quite surprising and no one really talked about. Um, I just don't see him dropping Luca. I just think he's a captain. He's got the role there. It just might be a case of dropping James McArthur um, if we go back to the four four two formation. But then then again, if you drop him, who do you, who do you put next to Luca? I mean, I think Chaco... I can't remember what game it was, but I'm pretty sure Chaco Kiyata and Luca played together and Kyoto had that box box role and his speed and his physicality actually worked in our favour so it wasn't actually that bad maybe them two in midfield um, that sounds encouraging but apart from that realistically I don't see anyone else partnering, partnering up with Luca in midfield Well I definitely think that the two of you have kind of emphasised the point that I was making and, and, and to really sort of labour it I guess it, it, for me if we're playing if there's any danger that we're going to be two in the centre up against three that that for me is where you don't. I don't think Luca and Maka works as a two. 
I think they they need that extra body in there. I think we try and get it from having Mayer play wide left or Jeff Schlupp play wide left and, and come narrow and make that extra three at times. I think that's our tactic to try and do that, to kind of support that. But I just, it, it just for me, it isn't quite working um, in, in certain games. And yeah, I think there's a danger of picking on individuals when you look at that, when it's more of a, a system thing. I certainly don't agree with Jay about him, Luca not being able to pass. Um, I think his corners at times could be better. Um, and prep, you know, direct free kicks I'm fine with, but uh, and I think indirect free kicks similar to corners, they can be better at times. But he's capable of playing a, a superb pass, um, given the right options ahead of him and around him, I think. Um Heska, have you got any views on Luca? Um yeah, I don't I don't think he's been in brilliant form the first three games, but I certainly don't think Roy's gonna drop him. Um it's ironic really, we basically our squad is all centre-halves and centre-midfielders, yet he doesn't want to seem to change the central midfield too much. Um, interesting, though, that um, DR mentioned Andros being rested or dropped. Um, I hadn't even thought about that. So I don't know if that's an indication of how well or how badly he's done this season or um, you know whether we think he'll come in against Villa and whether, you know, whether that will change the way we play. Um but considering he was sort of Mr. Consistency last year, Andros, it's interesting that him not being in the team from the start yesterday, like DR said, didn't really get much you know, notice and, and no one's really talked about it since. It's interesting. Roy did make some comments on this. He said um, the reason he'd done it was, was defensive reasons that he felt. He kind of qualified it by saying he's not saying that Andros can't defend, but he's just, he, he wanted someone on that side who was more adept at defending um, because of the threat that Man United posed. So that that's the reason he gave for dropping Andros. And I think that kind of plays into what we're talking about where the system isn't necessarily in the games where we've been critical and in particular when we were critical last week of, of Roy and his selections. That's where you're not getting the best out of your players. If you're asking Andros to focus heavily on getting back and being that an extra defender, you really are negating the things that he brings to the team in an attacking sense. And that's obvious when we're not creating chances, we're not getting balls into the box and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, arguably it was very much the right decision against Man United, but that doesn't that doesn't mean Andrus is a bad player and won't, won't play next week. But we, we have to find a way of getting more out of him and getting him to play to his strengths, as we do to all of our players in an attacking sense in a lot of these games where we struggle. Um, I think we've yeah we we've covered that quite nicely. I suppose we should really cover the what what do we want to see next week. Although obviously Sam, uh, Sam the preview show will probably do that as well, so we don't have to labour the point really. But um, but I mean, what what do you expect Dr next week from Roy? I expect us to have one shot on target. Um, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know what to expect because the thing that happened last season, we beat Man City, encouraging performance. And then Cardiff at home where we did create chances, but we just couldn't finish them off. So it's going to, it's a mystery, <laughs> but I could see us being more adventurous and of course, change of formation. I don't think we're going to go with 4-5-1 um, because it doesn't make sense against Villa. You need more creative players and you don't need to defend that much. But watching Villa this season, watching the two games that they've played and the highlights, you could score goals against them. They're leaky at the back. 
Um, they're not the best side. They're still they just got promoted, of course. They're still getting used to the Premier League. So we have to really go at them and take advantage of the lack of, shall I say, experience and time at the Premier League. That's what we need to do. But I'm not too sure if Roy will do it. No, fair point. Well, Chris, does it undermine this performance if we if we you know go next week at Sellers Park and we don't beat Villa? Well, I'm, as I've said before, you know, for me, I'm always all about the the graph in terms of number of points, and that will then be four four points, four games if it's a defeat, or five points from four games if it's a draw. So I'd be happy enough with that as a start to the season, but. That said, we ought to be being more ambitious than that. And these are the games where we need to rack up the extra points. So I want us to be ambitious. Do I think Roy will be? I, th- I think there's there's now been enough time that we, we should see someone like Camarasa start. I certainly want to see a more offensive approach to this home game than you know we did in certain games last season. But even then, you think back to you know, that heat map against Burnley and, ga- and games like that. Yeah, there have been moments where we've created the chances and not taken them. The key is taking them this time. And I think, you know, the, there's reasons to be cheerful right now. Well, I mean, I, I've, yeah, very pragmatic. So <laughs> I'm going to go in with a, um, it, I, to me, it does completely undermine this performance if we don't go and beat Villa. I think we really have to, you have to hammer it home. I don't want to be sitting talking about, you know, that the Man City followed by a Cardiff draw thing again. I really do think, We've got to take the bit by get you know, take the bull by the horns, so to speak, and, and really do something against Villa because I think it will just lift the support. It will banish the the, the negativity that's built in, in all of us. And um, and we've had a we've had a wonderful lift this week um, with with the with the victory against Man United. But you you know, football often is is more about confidence and momentum than it is about anything you do on the training ground. And I really think for us to have a a decent season. We've got to put a run of run of games together now, and and just that. If you imagine, you know, going into the sort of the January window where we can strengthen a little bit with with momentum and with you know, you know sitting there comfortable in mid table. That's that's what I want to see from Palace this year. At the moment, I, I fear we won't. At the moment, I fear we'll go back to the four four two and struggle against a team that's doing very, very well and has spent an awful lot of money as well. Um, but but I really hope not. I really hope that we'll take the positives from how we performed against Man United. We'll look at the 4-5-1 and think actually it's pretty simple to play that as a 4-3-3. And I'd like to see us try that. And I'd like to see it, us try it first without having to react to going a goal down or to be it nil-nil at 75 minutes and then try it. I'd like to see us try it first. Be proactive. That's what I really want to see next week. Back of the Nest Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, next up, we'll just have a quick chat about a link for Wilf to join PSG. Paris Saint-Germain for £100 million. The question you've put in here, Dio, is would we be happy? Happy is definitely the wrong word. Um, Obviously, can't get a replacement if he moves um, within this European window. So that would be the first concern, I guess. Um, Definitely be a place for Camarasa if that happens, I think. Although I suspect Jeffrey Schlupp would play instead. Not that that was a bad thing after his performance. Big up the Schlupp. Um, but uh, I, you know, we all know what I think. I'd rather not see him leave. But if his mindset on going, then that's a, that's a hell of a good good deal for us. I think so. Dr. You're saying that, but we've got Paul Ryan on Twitter now, and it's got over a thousand votes, and seventy nine percent of the people are saying, yeah, they will be happy if he left for hundred million pounds. And yeah, but you you gave the the, uh, the option of having to say that they were happy. Yeah, but again, I said I said you can say yeah or no. Would you be happy? Yeah, I would be. No, I wouldn't be happy. There was two options. Yeah, but but they could be they could be content. I think one person said yeah, that they, the one person did say that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. But uh, overall, if you ask, like, I'm be honest, I love wealth, but hundred million for wealth. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'm willing to take the gamble until January, even though we can't get a replacement. That is just money that we're never going to get for wealth with Zaha. I, I just think it's a one-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And if it was genuine, which I don't think it is, um, I think the club will accept that as well because you just can't reject a deal like that. We valued Wilf around £80 million and we rejected bids of £50 million. Now you are Now you're saying that teams are bidding, doubling what Everton bidded and bidding £100 million. It has to go. Bid, bidded. Did you say bidded? I can't remember. It's just, I'm it's just, just bid, mate. I'm tired. Bid. I'm tired. I'll be honest. I'm tired. <laughs> I think I said something, but he's worth a hundred million to us because that's two seasons parachute payments. Um, so I'm not saying we'll go down if he leaves. And I, I love the man, and I wish him all the best. And I, I do hope that he gets the opportunity to try and perform at that level because I think he's capable of it, and he's done a lot for our club. So, yeah, I, if that bid comes in, if it's real, and he gets to play at that level, then absolutely he goes with my best wishes, and I'm sure you know all of our best wishes. Would that leave us in a sticky place in terms of now to January? Probably. On the other hand, it would mean that you could play Andros on his preferred right-hand side and play Schlupp on the left, uh, where he's at his best too. It would also mean that Schlupp can go back and give defensive cover to PVA. I think it could be quite exciting in a way. Uh, we may get the opportunity to find out sooner rather than later. I don't think it's going to come to pass, but if it does, then he leaves certainly with my best wishes, I'm sure with all of our best wishes. And yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm just, I've had PSG on whilst we've been recording. Not that I'm not paying attention to everyone, obviously. Um, but they're currently nil-nil with Toulouse. And I think Toulouse are pretty crap. Um, so I'm sure they could do with him. But, they, I mean, they're one of these teams that they've got £100 million to spend on a player. You know, when some teams are linked, you just think, well, they're not going to stump up the amount of money that we're going to demand. But obviously PSG seem to be a bit of a bottomless pit. So, yeah, I mean, you, 
I don't ever want him to leave. So same with Chris. I, I would absolutely hate to see Wilf leave because he's my favourite player ever. But if he's going to a team that is, you know, might challenge for the Champions League, you know, winning the whole thing, you can't really say no. And money-wise, it's, you know, it's a no-brainer really, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I think, as I said before, people, I think, got so irate about the transfer request and the last day and all that business. But I think the it was really intensified by the fact it was Everton. And you can see in the reactions that most people have had, the fact that it would be a, a big club and not one that we would have to face minimum twice a season. You know, unless unless we do really well this year, we might have to face them next year. Um, but you know what I mean? It's it's a lot easier to stomach than than joining a team that we we don't see as that big, if any, of a step a step up really. So for that reason, I think a lot of people would would have a much easier time with it. I can just echo the point. None of us want to see Wilfred Zaha leave Palace, but I, I've felt for quite some time that it's inevitable. And I think I don't actually think there's anything wrong with him wanting to leave Palace either. Um, because it's a you know it is a career. We can't ask players to have the kind of loyalty that that we have to our football club. It would be lovely if they did. It'd be lovely if they were all Julian Speronis. But you know, we have to we have to live in the real world. And we've had a lot of years out of Wilf. And you know we've been good to him as much as he's been good to us. But he's a huge talent. And if that deal is a possibility, and if it happens, yeah, it's it, for financial and you know, for, for football reasons, it, it makes a lot of sense. My dad had to explain what you've just said uh, when I was 10 years old to me when uh, we were going to lose Ian Wright. And I was absolutely heartbroken when he left. And the thing, the, the thing that um, distinguishes it, I mean, let's be clear. If I ever have a son, I'm going to have a tussle with a future partner about whether that son will be called Wilf. Um you know, I've had a tussle with the next partner about that same point. Um, but <laughs> the, the the point I'm trying to make here is to our fan base, which is that, you know, we're not 10 years old anymore. So we can, we ought to be able to understand the economic realities of life, um, which are that not everyone feels the same loyalty. I mean, you can see that Wilf loves this club more than most players love the clubs they're playing for. So let's be grateful for that. Let's celebrate that. And let's, if he goes, let's send him on his way with our best wishes. And hopefully he doesn't. Yeah, definitely. And it, it does, it is hard to to take. And I do, I do get a little frustrated when people say that he has disrespected our club because that's obviously never been his intention. And he's shown our club a huge amount of respect throughout his time here. And it's just unfortunate the way things have to happen in football at times. And a lot of it's down to agents and all that kind of stuff. But I'm not absolving him of any responsibility in how things are, have been handled in, in the time that he's wanted to leave Palace. But um, I think we've just we've got a lot out of it. And that's the thing that people should actually remember as well. But let's see what happens. Um, hopefully, however long he's left at, at Palace, he, he continues to give his absolute best. He's had a bit of criticism this season where people have, have thought he hasn't. I, I think that's more about the AFCON than anything else. But he's an emotional guy, I'm sure. I'm sure things have affected him a little bit. But a couple of really, really good things against Man United, and in, and in particular making Ashley Young, Young, Ashley Young look incredibly stupid, um, which was in, hugely enjoyable. Right, guys, we'll end this after I hit you with some questions. This one's for you, Chris. This is from Pete Windsor, um, who did the marathon walk with us. Hi, Pete. Um, is Schlupp underrated by Palace fans? I don't know why I've asked you that. Um, I do. Um, yes, he is. 
by many Palace fans, but not by me and not by lots of us. I think he's showed his versatility. And, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, he made that goal um, on Saturday um, alongside Koyita and alongside Ayu in his calmness in taking it. He can play left back, he can play left wing. I'm I'm a big fan. You know, I mean, he's got his own song now. Um, and, you know, people, if, the, if you don't know that, then you should look it up. Or not, if you don't like it, like me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I will say I'll, I'll go on record as this: I've, I've criticised Jeffrey Schlupp before, and he's, he's at times not been my favourite player because he has suffered from the fact that he's one of Roy's favourites. And often we've seen players on the bench or not in the squad that we'd we kind of think we want to see them instead. But I'm often reminded in, in how he plays in games that he's actually a, a very very good player at times I get frustrated when he's got defensive work to do and I feel he's jogging back and things like that but his application to, to the game in recent times has been excellent um, been a real goal threat as well so definitely underrated including by me at times um, but that's the nature of the thing isn't it so thanks for that Pete uh, next question from Palace Ash I, I'm going to take this one because it just amused me uh, he said just a thought Maybe Benteke's add-ons in his deal from Liverpool that we have to pay more if he scores over 25 goals in the duration of his contract. Hence, we'll sign him for another two years and then he'll be free to score at will. Good conspiracy theory there, Ash. I, I, have, have we told Benteke not to score to save us money? Hmm. I don't know how that works, but it definitely amused me. Uh, this one's for you, Hesketh, from Balg... Balg... Balg Eagle? Don't know. 78. Um, he says, who are our best two centre-halves? Um, I still think it's Saka and Tompkins based on the fact that I've only seen Cahill play one game. Um, but I certainly wouldn't be averse to seeing Saka and Cahill as our sort of first choice pairing. Mm, good answer. I, 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 yeah, I struggle with that because yeah, I rate both Tompkins and Saka as well, and particularly as a partnership. But I really, really rate Gary Cahill now. And especially it's not just about the playing side, I think, as a personality. And he's been saying a lot of the right things. He seems to get Palace and he just wants to play football. So anyway, with the with the injury issues that Tompkins and Sacco have, he'll probably get to play uh, an awful lot of games. It'd be interesting to see if either of both of those are fit at the same time uh, in, the, in the near future. But uh, yeah, good answer there. Thank you very much. And for you, DR Sai at Sabre74 has said, was yesterday proof that Aaron Wan-Bissaka jumped too early? No. But I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> did you? Did you really? I honestly loved it. I was like, every time I was, I was worried before the game. I was like, all right, Wilf's playing on the right. He's gonna dodge it. But Wilf, Wilf done him a couple of times. I was like, yeah, go on, Wilf, show him. And yeah, I was shouting I... before the game when Wilf was talking to him. I was shouting to my TV. I was like, stop it, stop it, stop talking to him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, I did enjoy when when we scored the winner, and he just it obviously it come off of him. And he just put his head in his hands while lying on the floor. I, I don't have any ill feeling to Wampasaka. I know some people did, and or do. But um, but you know, obviously he's a Man United player now, and is essentially dead to me. So yeah, I uh, I enjoyed it too. Chris, any reaction to Wampasaka at the game? I heard no boos at all, um, which was good. Um, I think I think we all wish him well in his move in a way, but. No, I I don't think there's much sourness there. And I didn't hear any salty bitterness at all in the ground, which is a good thing. 
Good stuff. Well, thank you very much for the questions. There were many, many more. Um, and apologies for those of you that didn't get yours read out or your clips played. But do keep them coming. And there's plenty of opportunity this season for you to get involved. So thank you very much to everybody for listening, to Mikey for producing, um, and to my panel as well, Chris, uh, Sam Hesketh, and Dale Kerners. So Chris Clark, I didn't say your surname. I said their surnames. I felt bad. Um, <laughs> Obviously, uh, do subscribe to the podcast. Do rate us five stars. Do listen to the Love Sports Show Tuesday, 8 to 9 p.m. Although it's not on this week because of the Colchester game, but listen to it the week after. I, I demand it. Uh, I was on, wasn't I, in the last show, dear? I was, yeah, good, I was bored of you. <laughs> you know, I, I speak to you here and then you come on to like That's my free time. I have to be away from you. Stop coming into my show. That's part of All me, right, mate. All right. Well, I got to speak to Charlie G. Hawkins, Darren Miller from EastEnders, yeah. and I didn't ask him about EastEnders, did I? Yeah, you didn't. So that was impressive. I thought you yeah, did. yeah. But, um, there's plenty of time for that. Nice guy. Anyway, listen to that, and of course, we'll see you again soon. Oh, shh. I nearly forgot the preview show. Preview show is quite good, isn't it? You, you recorded that this week, Oh, right? yeah. yeah. When's that? When's that um, let's ask producer Mikey. It'll be, I can guarantee it will be recorded at some point in time. Yeah, and then it will be out before the game. Yeah, that's starts. the plan. Yeah, that sounds like a, an excellent plan. Is Albert on this week? Probably. He's like a bad smell. Yeah. I'll still listen to it anyway. I'm sure it'll still be good. It will. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're really selling it. Bye. <laughs> oh, no, you got it, haven't you? You got, you got to back it. No, I was only messing. No, it's, it's an excellent show. It's why I genuinely love it. Sounds like I'm making excuses now. I genuinely love it. It's my ritual before games to listen to it. I chuckle along and all the uh, hilarious things everyone says and how miserable Thanks. you are. That's if it's brilliant. It's, um, highlight so, of week. If it's the highlight of your week this week after we've beaten Man U, that's a bit worrying, but I appreciate the kind words. It will be the third yeah. highlight of this week after, after Man U and, and the cricket. Anyway, let's go. Um, bye. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.